0: I know it'll be big. <laughs> That'll be good though. I like it. Thanks, Pastor Scott. Good morning. So fun to be here with you. Thank you for taking the time to come. And uh, just a great weekend. A little bit of snow here and there, but we'll take it. Before I dive in, I just have to say this because it's the first time for my grandson, little Tristan, to be here in this room with Erica. Would you, Erica, would you stand and get? Give... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And if he cries in church, he can just stay here all day. Doesn't matter. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> she, that's why she's by the door. <laughs> but it's so awesome. Uh, I'm loving that. So it's really a lot of fun. How, how many of your grandparents? You're just loving it, aren't you? Just, just amazing. So it's uh, a lot of fun. Okay. Hey, we are in a series, really. You're having a fun time. Uh, last weekend, we kicked it off simply one word called others. Say it with me. Others. Who who are they? Others. <laughs> that's right. They are others. That's really the bottom line. It means anybody besides you. If you think of it, just to make it really simple, it's anybody but you. This is what this series is about. It's about you and I saying, life is not all about me. It's about others. And the guy who I think just kind of says it all with his life is Barnabas. And that's why... We've chosen to go uh, these eight weeks, six more after this one, on the life of Barnabas. And so, I hope that you will really uh, listen and pay attention and, and think of applications in your own life of what it means to learn from people like Barnabas. Today we're talking about Barnabas the giver. It's fascinating that when he first comes on the scene in the Bible, that it's because he gave something. He sold some land and he gave the money to the apostles. And we're going to pick that up and we're going to look at that again. But one of the things that I want you to see right away is first thing in your outline, if you're taking notes, just turn your program over to the back side and follow along. And, and there's, there's five things that I want to talk about true giving. Number one is true giving is from the heart. True giving comes from the heart. It's like one of those things where you say, it's not out of coercion, it's not out of guilt. I've given out of guilt before, and honestly... It's an effective method to get people to give, but, but you end up with resentment. and, and that's, So that's not what we're about as a church. It's about, it's about giving from the heart. And what do you want to give to? So, true giving comes from the heart. Now, if you're new following the Lord, this is very important before we read this. In Acts 4. The book of Acts is like a hinge between the life of Jesus and the life of the church. It's called the book of Acts. Luke wrote it because it's the action of the Apostles. And so it's like you have the life of Jesus and then all the actions. It's the birth of the church. What we're about to read is why we're here today. This is, this is how it all started. This is how the church first began. And it's evolved all these years into now churches across the world. But here it goes in verse 33 of Acts 4. The Apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those who had need. For instance, there was Joseph. Who's that? That's Barnabas. Okay? That's his real name, Joseph. Joseph. And the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas which means son of encouragement. We talked about that last week. He was so encouraging that the apostles finally just nicknamed him like you encouraging guy. Uh, That's a statement in and of itself. He was from the tribe of Levi. He came from the island of Cyprus, and he sold a field that he owned. He brought the money to the apostles. It's fascinating that this generosity, Barnabas wasn't the only one who sold land or a house and brought the money. This generation sort of marked the early Church. This trend did not last forever. It was, I think, kind of like a launching pad into what it meant to be part of the body of Christ. Keep in mind that in the early church, people were not coming to church with an expectation to get some money. (laughs) Right? How many of you know that if we gave a $100 bill to every attendee every weekend, our church would grow? Right? A lot more than it's growing now. Um, So, No one was coming with a motive, oh, someone's going to pass out money today. It was out of love and care that people responded to needs that they had. You're still doing that. You do that all the time. You know, behind the scenes, I get to witness stuff all the time in this fellowship, as well as within our community, of your giving. I I guess I have a question for you. Is there a difference between giving and paying? What, What would that difference be? Like as, as you think about it, probably a good example of that right now in the season we're in would be would be taxes. Like, do you pay your taxes? Well, well, hopefully you pay your taxes, but do you pay your taxes, or do you simply experience the the joy of sitting down and going through those forms and writing that check out and saying. Thank you, God, for this blessing that I get to give to our government. That's true that you might love certain government agencies, but it's probably unlikely that, that we really enjoy that. We pay our taxes. We have to, or we can face penalties or even jail. That's not giving. Giving is when you look forward to and you rejoice and you almost get giddy about what you're doing. Because you like it, and it's from your heart, and you see that it's making a difference. I've watched it. These past two summers have been tough in Colorado, right? We had the fires. Serve 6-8 was kind of birthed, and you guys signed up, and things went crazy. And then we had the floods last summer, and I I just couldn't believe it. Our phones were ringing off the hook. People all over our community saying, how can we help? What can we do? Where do we need to go? What do we need to bring? Just, just this giving. I mean, it was just like this generosity. Thousands and thousands of hours of, of volunteer hours where people said, I have to do something. I want to do something. People were giving money from their heart. People were bringing in a $10 bill, a $20 bill, writing a check saying, please use it. People who did not have much money to give. But they felt the weight of that. They wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves. People were also giving material possessions from the heart. People were bringing things like shovels, um, blankets, tents, outdoor gear, diapers and food. I mean, just it went on and on. We We had piles of stuff around here that people were bringing that we said, this would help this family, this would help someone else. People, other people didn't bring money or possessions, but they brought skills. When I, when I think about the people who brought the blood, sweat, and, and tears of labor, it's amazing because you knew how to build stuff. You knew how to put homes back together and use a shovel. And I watched as thousands of hours went out in giving from the heart. That's true giving. That's what Barnabas is about. That's what Barnabas living is all about. Barnabas the giver was the giver all the time. Not just once in terms of selling some land and bringing the money. He had a lifestyle of giving. The second thing I want to talk about in your outline is this. True giving involves stewardship. And, and when I say stewardship, what I'm talking about here is a responsibility in how you are giving and why you are giving. I think it's really important for you to figure out why you give what you give. and Why you live the lifestyle you live. And who you support. Financially, time. It's time, talent, treasure. All those are giving. And they're all equal. And so, let's talk about that a little bit. What is stewardship giving? I, I learned a pretty big lesson on this. It was years ago now. Probably 20 years ago. And it's when, it's when people first started to have the sign at an intersection. And it would say, need help need a job, homeless, whatever, whatever it was saying now it's, 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 there's more of them. But back then, it was the first one I kind of saw at, at, in our area, and I, I was moved by it. I, I have to say, I'm a, I'm a mushy kind of a, uh, emotional guy. That's why missions always wrecks me and uh, these needs. And I, I saw this person, and I, I rolled my window down, handed him a couple bucks, and, you know, said, I hope I hope you're doing okay, and drove off, and I almost felt guilty I didn't do more, and then I felt good about doing something, and it's this little mind game going on and on. So like about two hours later, I, I circled back around, not for that reason, but I had an appointment over past that, and I had to fill up my car with gas, and I pulled in the gas station to get gas, and right next to the gas station was a liquor store. And I saw this same guy come out of the liquor store with a... A bottle of alcohol in his brown bag, and his sign that he he had was was up against his leg. He was still holding it, facing in, and he had this alcohol bottle. So I just kind of walked over there to him, and I just grabbed the liquor bottle and said, "I'm taking that." I took it to my car, and, and I said, "That's mine." No, I didn't do that. I'm kidding. You guys, you guys are looking at me. <laughs> you guys are looking at me like, really? No, I did not. No, I didn't. But I, I had this kind of feeling like, wow. And I'm not saying by any means that there's some real needy people who are holding those signs, so not all of them are using it on something negative or bad. But in that case, I, I started to evaluate, what, what is stewarding a dollar? What is stewarding a thousand dollars? Or however much it is. What does it mean to pay attention? And so I sort of started putting some principles in my life. I'm just going to share them with you. They're not in your notes, but they're real fast. The first one is just be aware of what you've been given. How long has it been since you just sat back and said, What have I been given in my life? And and or earned. Because it's not all given, even though God helps you to make money. Listen, there are a lot of millionaires that don't follow Jesus. Would you agree? So there are a lot of people who know how to make money. God may have given them the gift of knowing how to make money. And they may not be using it for God's kingdom, but they still have the gift. But what have I been given? What has been put in my hand? What have I earned? What is my capacity to earn? It begins with awareness. What is within my reach to help in time, talent, and treasure? And am I doing that? Am I living that out? The second one would be willingness to assess how best to use it. Like, I I know what I have. How can I best use it? I don't want to give to someone who's going to go blow it on alcohol. I don't want to give to an organization that takes 80% out for you know, structure. I don't want to give to... There's all these things that we have to pay attention to and think about, what does this look like? Am I willing? It's not that easy, too, because when you say, I'm going to examine what I give to, it takes time and energy. I've said this before, and it's true. Sometimes the easiest thing we do is write a check. Because we feel good, we walk away. And it's sometimes a lot tougher to get involved in someone's life or to go volunteer somewhere. Some of you don't have the time, you have the money. You should be writing a check. Some of you don't have the money, you have the time. It's it's all that. It's all about giving. I I think Bonnie and I have kind of determined several ways that we give. And I I want to just put this on you and ask you to consider it. Um, Systematic giving. What does that mean? Systematic giving is where this is how I grew up. So I'm just going to tell you my history, whether you agree or not. My, my dad was a tither and he taught us kids to be tithers. That's 10% of what you make. I still remember I worked, my first job was in an automotive um, garage and they were fixing cars. And I was, I scraped the floor with a scraper because the grease was so thick for a quarter, an hour. And uh, I remember the first dollar I ever made, I brought home. I was so proud of it. And my dad sat down with me and And he said, Derry, who does that dollar belong to? And I said, well, it belongs to me. I earned it. And he said, well, that's good. I understand. But the truth is that dollar belongs to God. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. I'm the one that worked. And I still remember him laughing and saying, well, it's God's. All of it's God's, but... He is putting it in your hand to be a steward. And 10% of that needs to go on the offering plate Sunday. And I remember thinking, 10%? Why? But then I was kind of happy I got the 90. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, this will work. I'll make that work. And then he said, the 90 is still God's. And you need to make sure you use it in a way that honors God. And, and it made me really think. And I still remember that little envelope that I put that dime in. And, and put that in the offering. And so, so that's just been a process, a pattern. We've always tithed, always given systematically. But another way to give is need-based. Not just systematic, but need-based. I think it's wonderful for you to put a little money aside, a $20 bill, 40 bucks somewhere, in your wallet or your purse or your house to say, what if, what if there's just a little need that comes up today and I see it in someone's life? It could be one of your kids. It could be your grandkid. It could be someone you don't even know. It could be just. It could be a random thing that you become aware of, and you say, "You know what? This twenty bucks could really make a difference." It's a need-based. Then the third one is just cause-based. Um, I, I really I believe in cause-based giving, and that's just when you realize, like anti-human trafficking is Bonnie's passion. You know, and we we want to be a part of that. I think of missions. I think of child sponsorships. I bet our kids don't remember a day of their life without having some sponsorship. On our refrigerator of a little girl or a little boy that we're sponsoring. Many of you have that. But that's a cause base. And many kids' lives have been changed because of you, Timberline, because of your generosity and your care. And I think that's really huge. I would say this, um, have wisdom uh, in dispersing it. That's kind of in the big realm. One of the next things that we have to do, if we've been, what have we been given, but we have to have wisdom in dispersing it. So paying attention to organizations that you believe in. Uh, avoiding scams. And then the last one is just celebrating the use of it. I, I believe Christians ought to just be partying all the time about the, the, the differences that we're making in the world through our giving of time, talent, and treasure. And I was, I was just reminiscing about how special it is to think of the results when I look at the repairs that have been made on flood victims, fire victims, because of you. Be- because of, of all the money that has gone out Because of you. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm not exaggerating. Because you guys have stepped up and you have given and you've gone. The children that are getting education and food and clothing. Because you're sponsoring some. Little girls and boys who are not being trafficked. Because we're building this home in New Delhi like we did in Kolkata. Our own children, our youth, right now in the remodeling. Our kids are going to feel more love and care and grow up in a church where they know they're special. I'm excited about that because of your giving. This community right now is different because of you. And this isn't a bragging session. This is a humble moment to say, because of what God is doing here in northern Colorado, we should rejoice and we should celebrate in it. Are we done? No. No. But can we rejoice in the wins that we've had? Yes, and we should. So, let's have a party in March when it comes to missions. We will. Now, the story changes right here. It's about to shift big time. The third thing in your outline is this. True giving is not competitive. True giving is not competitive. Now, that might sound like a no-brainer to you, but I want to just open this up because the next chapter in the book of Acts, a matter of fact, the very next verse... How many of you know the book of Acts did not originally have chapters? Okay, it's a letter. So there's no chapters. So forget that it was chapter 4, now it's chapter 5. This is the next thing Luke says. And he goes right into a story about Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember them? Scary. Verse 1, But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife's Sapphira, sold some property. Okay, it's all good so far. He brought part of the money to the apostles. That's awesome, claiming it was the full amount. Uh oh. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Now, now, what's going on here? We've got to figure this out because we've just seen we've just seen Barnabas, other people who have sold property houses, bring the money. There's celebration. They're seeing the party. Is it possible that this seed? got planted in Ananias and Sapphira that they kind of wanted to get in on the giving too. I I believe that's what happened. I believe they talked about it and said, you know what, this is fun. We we have this place. We can sell it, sell it, and, and give some of the money over here. And then, what happened? What happened to them to make them say this is all the money from the property? You guys, they didn't have to sell the property at all. This was their decision. They could have kept all the money. God didn't care. They could have brought half of it and said, we're going to save half and we're going to give half. And the apostles would have rejoiced. It was their decision. Why did they lie and say they were giving it all? That is a huge question. Because you and I face this every day of our lives. We face the reality of, are we really who we say we are? And it's haunting. Because... All of us have this image-driven life that wants people to believe we are a certain thing or a certain way that we are not fully measuring up to yet. Now, it's okay to be in a journey. You're never going to be fully where you want to be. But I believe it's the direction you're going, and it's the fact that you are not willfully trying to deceive people about who you are. That's what was happening in this text. The competitive giving. Maybe they they needed to be noticed. Maybe they wanted to be as liked as Barnabas was. Maybe they were trying to compete. He gave this much. I'm giving more. <laughs> Have you ever seen that that commercial? This is one of my favorite commercials where they talk about um, careers that shouldn't be a grocery clerk, and then one of them is an auctioneer. Have you seen that? And this auctioneer is a grocery clerk, and someone you know is checking out, and he's like thirty two seventy five, thirty five eighty five, thirty seven forty five, and someone else goes. Whoa, you know, and it's like, and this lady's trying to buy this, and it's like, I really like the ad. Okay, I, I don't know. I, I think it's funny. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not like you give this, I'll give that. I can outdo you. I I do love auctions, but they are so dangerous. Because the first auction I went to, I'm like bidding on everything. You know, and it's like, what are you doing? I don't even want that. I don't know, but I just want to bid. And, and if, the way it happens, and then, especially if you get into a contest with your friend, they want it, you want it, and you pay ten times what it's worth. It's ridiculous. Competitive. That's not what giving really is. Number four, look at what happened. True giving is not fueled by a selfish need. Think about this. Real life giving is not fueled by something that you need to get back from it, to be noticed by it. Verse three. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. You kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money is also yours to give away. In other words, do what you want with it. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about this was terrified, I guess. <laughs> then some young men got up, wrapped him in the sheep, took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. Then Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. I imagine, scared to death. Bring your offerings today. Is this all that you bring? Is this enough? Is this what you... Legit... I mean, I would be running for the door. Does this seem like... Does this seem harsh? It seems harsh to me. Why? I mean, they fall down dead. I just... I don't know. I don't understand this story fully. Here's the best takeaway that I can bring to you. And you, if you have better ideas, got one more service to go. Bring them to me. I'll say it. But... God cares a lot more about your integrity and your character than whatever it is you bring monetarily to the table. He's, he's looking deep into the core of who you are. That's what God sees and that's what God wants most. And that's the hardest thing to give. And for some reason, they had a need to be noticed to be in the giving circles, for people to take note that they over-sacrificed. They lied. And I, and I think it's just, it's just really important for us as a church that is a very giving church for us to say what matters most to God is that our integrity and our character and the depth of who we are is what we lay on the altar first. Let, let giving come out of that. That's so important. Fear gripped the church. I remember one time, early on in the ministry, I wasn't even 30 yet, and Bonnie and I became the pastors here very young. We were over on LeMay, and this van came to me, and we needed money. We, we were really trying to make ends meet. And this guy, I didn't know he had means, but he did, and, and he came to me. He was new to our church, and no one really knew him, and he said, um, I have uh, something that I'd like for you to do as the pastor of this church. And I said, what's that? He said, well, there's an organization that I want you to start supporting financially, and I'm going to give the first big check. And it was a big check. And then I want the church to give monthly to it, and I want it to be a part of our, you know, our giving on a monthly basis. And I said, well, what's the organization? And he told me. And I said, man, you know, honestly, I I don't think that's going to happen. That's not That's not an organization that we would monthly support for a variety of reasons, which I won't go into now. I tried to explain to him why. He said, well, um, do you know how much I give to this church? I said, you know, you've been here four or five months and no, honestly, I don't. I don't really look at giving because that's not really something that I, I worry about much. And And he said, well, you might want to check because I've given a lot of money here and this is something that's very important to me. And if you want me to continue giving, then I think we need to take this on. And I'm like, oh, yes, sir, then we'll take it on. If you know me, you know I did not say that. I said, see ya. No, I didn't say that either. (laughs) If I would have, it would have been in love, though. But I, I, I simply said, you know, honestly... I don't, I don't know what exactly you're asking, but money doesn't really buy anything here. You can give what you want, but, but we're not going to be pressured into giving or not giving. Ended up, he left the church. And God has found other ways to meet needs. But I just want you to know that we can't give with a motive that's not pure. We must give with a motive that's pure. We must, that, that's what real giving is. And so it's just important that we have that rejoicing heart, that feeling. Number five, let me wrap it up by just saying this. True giving involves responsibility and honesty. It, it involves you going inside your heart and saying, I think Barnabas was like, giddy. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm going to sell this land. I'm going to bring it to the apostles. And this is going to make a difference in people's lives. And this is why I want to give. And Barnabas kept on giving. You know, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is what? Required. Now, that's not meant to be a scare tactic. It's meant to be a stewardship statement. And and we have been given much. You can like compare your yourself to the rest of the world. The poorest of Americans are the richest of the world. And And just think about what we have and who we are. You probably have more than two or three shirts or blouses or tops. You might have a closet full. I do. And it's not to feel guilty about. It's to say, how can I steward what God has put in my hand? I want to live responsibly before God. I want to live honestly. Barnabas was not a one-time giver. And he had no expectation. There's going to be a whole message here in in a few weeks in this series about Barnabas taking on this young man named John Mark. How many of you know this story? He's a young man, and he has quite a quite a history, and he starts traveling with Paul and Barnabas, and then he he has to go home. He's homesick. And Barnabas, it just ticks... I mean, it ticks Paul off. And Because Paul's like driven. You know what I mean? Paul's like one of those guys, get it done. So the next trip they're going to go on, Barnabas comes up to Paul and says, hey, I want to take John Mark. And Paul's like, no way. Barnabas is like, what do you mean? I'm... I want to bring him. No. He left us once. He'll leave us again. I don't want him. And that's where Paul and Barnabas had a fight. The, the Greek word actually means they had a sharp disagreement. And we'll, we'll tell you all about that. But bottom line, here's what happened. Is Paul took Silas and Barnabas took John Mark. And Barnabas's name is never mentioned again in the book of Acts. Practically because Luke, who was writing Acts, was following Paul and Silas. Barnabas continued to be a giver whether he was in the spotlight or not. Barnabas is horrified today that we are talking about him. He's like in heaven going, oh man, not again. This is embarrassing. Because his giving was out of humility, out of grace, out of kindness, and he didn't need anything back from it except the fulfillment of knowing that he was obeying God and he was being a good steward of what God had put into his hand let's pray Lord I ask you to nickname us Barnabas if it's possible that you would see in us that we are not just one time givers and we are not posers but we are people who have intention of strengthening the kingdom of God however best that is by whatever means we have I just thank You for that level of commitment in this room today, God. I thank You. I praise You for it. With heads bowed, I'm going to just lead us in a prayer. The first one is just one that says, I need to invest in the kingdom of God more. This isn't a guilt moment. Don't let that grip you. This is about you willfully saying, Lord, I need to be a better steward of what You've put in my hand. Time, talent, treasure... I need to think about being a need-based giver. I need to think about those those convictions that I give in, a systematic giver. What does it mean? God will help you. God will strengthen you in doing that. I believe it with all my heart. Lord, I just pray for strength in hearts and lives that will continue to live as givers like Barnabas did. That will invest into other people. That we will pay attention to when we can open a door for someone when we can smile when we can get out of the way to let someone come through just just that that notion of serving our world let it be real in us let it be birthed by the spirit secondly and this is a tough one because it involves your integrity you know if you exaggerate all the time you're lying they exaggerated what they were bringing as a gift and it was a lie and they died I'm glad God doesn't judge all of us like that every time. Most of us wouldn't be alive. But there's a moment here today when you can just say, Lord, I need to own the fact that sometimes I don't clearly represent the truth with my life. And and I, I let those little things go. Maybe you have things in your wallet or your purse or your car right now that don't even really belong to you. They belong to the office. They belong to someone else. They belong, And it's just little. It's just... It's just how you've done life. And God is right now saying, I want to just purge that out of you. I want you to be integral. I want to work on the development of how you think and why you make decisions that you make. It's a big thing. God cares. Integrity matters most. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for Ananias and Sapphira. The reminder is as awful as that was. I just can't imagine. Thank you for your grace upon our lives, but show us how to live in a way that honors you and pleases you and is is truthful in what we proclaim and how we live from our time, our talent and our money. Let it be real. Help us to invest in other people. The last thing is for some of you who just really need to make peace with God today. Some of you, you know that you're separated from God right now. Because of disobedience or sin in your life. Issues that you know, you're just not connected. Maybe you don't even know why you came today. And you're sitting here going, wow, this is, this is for me. God's knocking on your heart. We're a church that welcomes you. We, we believe in that moment where God talks to you. He, he's talk, he talks to us. And that's that conviction in your heart. Let Him do that. Let Him in. Just surrender right now. Just say, Lord, come in. Come in. I'm open to you. I need you. I need that honesty. I need that integral stuff in my life. Forgive me and cleanse me. right? Now. Just ask Him to forgive you for the sins that you've committed in your life. Tell Him that you believe in Him and that you believe He died on the cross for your sins. Lord, I believe and I trust You. I accept forgiveness now. and Help me to forgive myself that I might follow You for the glory of God. We pray these things, Lord, knowing that you're a God who loves us and cares. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank God. Thank God. I want our, uh, our prayer team to come up here right now and just be available. We would love to pray with you about what's going on in your life, any needs you might have, or any family member that you want us to pray with you about. Come on up and let us do that. Lord, as we go today, remind us to be Barnabas, encouragers. Remind us to have that smile, that care. Remind us to do the little things that mark us as different from this world. And let us have discernment about time, talent, and treasure. We thank you as we can learn from you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. Say it with me. The service starts now. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Thanks for coming to Timberline.